ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. From safer running tracks and walking trails to bus stops and public transport stations that are well lit and in populated areas, what makes a city, a suburb or a town safe? And when we're designing our suburbs, do we think about how the community wants to use that space and what makes people feel safe in public areas? And who is most at risk if we don't consider safety? Public transport in particular in the newer and outer suburbs is a real concern. It's often dark and it might just be a bus stop on the side of the road. And that lack of infrastructure, it affects your life. It makes you change your plans. It will potentially cost you more, whether it be going to work or even socialising and constantly thinking of alternative ways to work around it and to avoid feeling unsafe. So can we design our cities and suburbs to be safer and to be more inclusive? And if we can, then what do we need to consider? Is a safe public space as simple as more lighting and cameras? So where you live, do you feel safe or unsafe? And if you feel unsafe in some areas and spaces, what changes would you like to be made? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt and joining you this hour, Associate Professor Nicole Carms, who is the co-director of Monash University's XYX Lab, which is pretty much a world-leading gender and space group of experts that come together and really put some incredible minds together to try and make our cities and our suburbs safer. Nicole, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. Good morning. We've been discussing this, I think, you and I, on and off for years are we starting to consider safety when we are planning cities and suburbs more now? Because we are building new towns and suburbs at an alarming rate. And we might think about infrastructure as do we need a school or a footy ground? But where does safety come into our design process of infrastructure? Mm. Look, I think that increasingly it is becoming more important. So in Victoria, we have seen the implementation of the Gender Equality Act, which has really started to um, make stakeholders and local governments accountable for gender equality in cities and public spaces. So we're definitely seeing an upswell. I think there's still a long road ahead, but yes, there is traction and activity. So when we say building safety into areas where we live, what does that look like? Because it can be, mean so many different things. Yeah, I think for, for many people, when we use the word safety, they're thinking about technical safety. So the idea of not falling over on a foot path or a kind of trip hazard. Um, but really, in the work that we're doing at the XYX Lab, we're talking about personal safety. And what that means is we're thinking about how women in particular, but also gender diverse people and other mar- marginalised people can be free to kind of be in public spaces mm. to feel included to be themselves, which might be about being themselves culturally and um, uh, within their kind of communities, to feel comfortable. And really importantly, what's coming out of our research is feeling connected to other people. These are key things that make people feel safe. There are areas where we're constantly looking at retrofitting and one of those we'll speak about today, which is Mary Creek, which is an an issue of huge concern for 
not only the people that live there, but for all Victorians, when we look at the safety, again, as you say, most often towards women. And that's about retrofitting. Do we need more lighting? Do we need to remove some kind of the the local landscape to make it more visible? But then we have areas that we're building from scratch as well. What's easier? What I mean, what's what's simpler? So which, which one can learn from the other? Mm. Well, I think with a with a retrofitting space, you have a place that already has culture and forms of community. Mm. So it's kind of responsive. With new build, you have lots of opportunity. Um, And I think that's a really interesting thing for us to talk about. But then also you're managing a whole lot of competing um, politics and often economics around what happens when you kind of lay out a a new um, community. Um, And often they can be quite challenging. And I think that today we'll be able to talk really specifically about Mm. some of those infrastructural issues and challenges. The economics of it would be frustrating because I'm sure that's probably at the top of the list and we know when we're building something from scratch that cost and money comes into it and so often we will see places of business like fast food chains open up before we see infrastructure for the community open up, let alone taking into safety as well. So what makes you feel safer where you live? What would you like to see? one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Many texts already saying urban design must include transport for people Sydney's new metro station is world class, but walk around the stations and it's all cars, not people. That's just a failure. That's from Bruce in Malvern. So what do you think? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt with you and joining you this hour, Associate Professor Nicole Carms, who is from Monash University's XYX Lab. And her and her team have created an incredible new exhibition. It's called Consenting Cities. And it's just opened up simultaneously here in Melbourne at the QV, at the Gallery No Vacancy. But it's also opened up as a part of the Venice Biennale. Why is it important to have this exhibition open up simultaneously? Is this a conversation that's happening globally? Absolutely. Um, there, There is a global conversation and we're really lucky to be exhibiting in Venice at the moment and we really wanted to share it with our um, peers and communities here in Victoria where a lot of our work is being undertaken. So that kind of uh, tandem show was just seemed like an opportunity that we couldn't resist. Absolutely. So what makes you feel safe where you live? Ian's in Ocean Grove. Morning, Ian. Good morning. Um, well, it's not- I feel we should be safe for walking around Ocean Grove at night time while we're a thorough vest. But if I in Geelong, when I go there by public transport, there's the, uh, the bus stop, in, a bus depot in the middle of the street, Pearl Street, which has become, become a problem because it attracts a lot of people, including drug dealers, lots of youth of butts to do. A couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Geelong. And there were some young people, and they were harassing an older man, and they were throwing his, his groceries on the ground, and, and that sort of thing happens. There's no, unlike a railway station, there's no supervision by security or police. Uh, and I look and I think about the place in uh, Sunshine where yeah. it, it really should have been police there to, to supervise and prevent 
Greek crime. Bus stops have become a really big issue, Ian. You raise a good point there, the Sunshine incident, that awful incident that's occurred there and the fatality as a result. We know that there's been uh, some really big issues for the community at a bus stop in Shepparton as well. But when we look at where bus stops are placed, and we're going to speak to the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria a little later in this hour, but something as simple, Nicole, as where we place things and mm-hmm. thinking about it. Ian, as an older citizen, you know, he's got different concerns to other people as well. But I feel like the bus system, <laughs> there's a major flaw mm. in this state there in is. terms of how we design them and operate them. Look, I think, um, you know, what Ian's reflecting is an experience that lots of people have, which is a really, uh, there's a real vulnerability around bus stops. They're uh, the research that we've done has indicated that they're very rarely lit, particularly in the outer suburbs and regions, and precariously placed on busy um, roads and freeways. And this is really problematic. Um, and so I, I really can kind of hear what Ian's saying. And I think that, um, yeah, a lot of people are feeling that way. This text, it says, ladies, I saw a police camera on a trailer in a dog park area in Cheltenham. I think all people welcome 24-hour surveillance. That's from Mark in Mentone. Does safety mean 24-hour surveillance? Look, it's a really contentious um, point. I mean, a lot of money is spent on CCTV cameras, but I can tell you that time and again, the research that we do with women um, and other marginalised communities, CCTV is not... Uh, something that they refer to as a solution to the problems that they're facing around personal safety. And a lot of the emerging research suggests that it really doesn't have significant effects on crime and uh, behaviour. It does protect assets. So when you see CCTV around public transport uh, stations, it's actually about the protection of those assets rather Mm. than the protection of people. If it's going to work, it needs to be live monitored and it's not. I know for myself, if I was going for a walk, walking home from work or whatever it may be, going for a run and if it was dark and I felt unsafe, CCTV wouldn't make me feel safe. But, oh, okay, great. So you can look at it once something has happened to me, but it's not going to prevent anything happening to me. That's how I would feel personally anyhow. Exactly. And most women would see it as a forensic tool that's useful after the fact. Um, and it's not something that they see as, as useful in their day-to-day experiences of public spaces. Uh, and indeed, lots of the feedback we get is that actually it can make women feel less safe because then they feel like they're in an area which needs to be monitored for a variety of reasons. So it's complex. This is a different perspective. It says I'm in Maribyrnong and one of the main health risks here is pollution and having walkable roads and good public transport will not help the general health and well-being, but also allow more people to be on the streets if you are feeling unsafe. As a young woman who doesn't have a car, the focus here is multifaceted. It's dangerous flow, long-term smog, more intermediate and being able to get where I want to go in a well-lit and a populated area. Before we speak to the Mayor of Merribeck, let's have a chat to Suzanne, who's Bayside. Morning, Suzanne. Hi. What did you want to add? I just want to draw a parallel between years gone by in our suburbs where we had a corner shop on just about every corner and you still see the remnants of those which are still functioning as a corner shop or you know, more likely to be now a residence. But I think when we're planning new suburbs, we should maybe think about you know, putting a piece of land there for a corner shop and that doesn't have to be you know it could be a milk bar a grocery it could be a gym it could be a news agent it could be a, you know a, a small branch of the local library 
I think we just need to have more people around mm. in suburbs so that when you are out walking home late at night, you know, you've, there's someone else around. There's a business operating, gives you that sense of security. Um, Visibility. And it doesn't even have to be that late, Suzanne, anymore. Like no. I noticed last night it was getting quite dark and it was quarter to six. You know, most people are still at work. So mm. if you're catching public transport home and, and it's dark, do you think visibility? I I agree, Suzanne. I mean, what Look, do you think, Nicole? Yeah, I think that Suzanne's raising a point about, as you say, kind of oversight and visibility um, and those kind of pockets of moments where there's connection. Again, connection's really important. And I also agree with you, Rochelle, about the kind of... Um, dusk and, and, and dawn. They're really precarious moments for women and they're moments where they want to be exercising, when they might be commuting to and from work and we're not paying enough attention to those moments and the idea that, you know, nighttime kind of changes throughout the season when that occurs. And so it's really important for us to factor in those kind of temporal aspects of public life. This text, CCTV does not make me feel safer at train stations. Yes, the camera can capture the attack or the harassment, but it does not prevent. I doubt it's a deterrent to any, says Annie. And some says here, some places need to remain dark and it's hard to find that balance between safety and the environment that exists in the dark. So when we're talking about the habitat that may live there, this text says I live on Merry Creek and I understand the issues around safety. Well, let's speak to the Mayor of Merrybeck now because Merry Creek is one that has been discussed and debated for a very long time as to try and find ways to make it safer for those who want to enjoy the beauty that is Merry Creek. Angelica Panopoulos is the Mayor of Merrybeck Council. Angelica, the last time we spoke, actually when I was filling in for RAF on drive, you're about to walk in to a round table with locals there to look at and discuss new ways to improve the safety of Merry Creek. Did anything new rise to the surface? Yes. Um, well, yes. So, yeah, last time we spoke, it, it was just before the first round table and we had around 30 or so people attend and it was really great. Um, we were able to have like an open and free-flowing conversation. So some of the things that were suggested included uh, more wayfinding and more signage, extending some of the paths in width to allow for people to pass by each other. And it was actually quite useful because we at council were able to share what we had already done, but perhaps people hadn't noticed um, were contributing to trying to make the area safer. So, so what do you mean by signage? Yeah. What sort of signs would be helpful? Um, so signage in terms of like how to, I guess, leave <laughs> the area in the paths that can get you back to the main roads or to the proper streets. Um, signage as to what, um, I guess, features are coming up or where to report certain incidents or even just to explain, for example, where we've just done a seating blitz along the creek um, and just to explain the benefits of having more seating, which adds to that passive surveillance. Um, and encouraging people to to come on down and to stick around by the creek. Um, So kind of that explanatory work. Um, Yeah. I know, Nicole, you have did some work with Murray Creek and the locals in the area back in 2020. Were similar things being discussed then? Absolutely. So it's great to hear Angelica talking about the implementation of wayfinding uh, and and further navigation to help people understand where they are along that particular part of the Mary Creek, um, the widening of pathways. That was a key concern in 2020 because there's lots of cyclists and 
anyone who knows anything about Melbourne knows the politics of cycling kind of impinge on public space discussions. Uh, and so I think, yeah, um, Angelica's reflecting some of the issues that came out of that um, work that we did in 2020. I know when we spoke about this a few weeks ago, we, we had a really fascinating call from someone that works in landscape design and had done work overseas. And he's talking about literally just some of the shrubbery and making more visible eye lines with some mm. of the local businesses or even homes that butt up along the Merry Creek. So that the, the density of some of the, the trees and the shrubs there just make people feel more seen and, well, are more seen. Was that something that was raised at all? Yeah, that was definitely raised and that was something that we've already done in some spaces and through like the regular maintenance with our open space team. And so I think some people hadn't realised actually that we had done that um, and it was really important to be able to share that we had made some progress and that we were continuing to do that sort of um, shrubbery maintenance to create those natural sight lines. Where do cameras fit into Mary Creek, Nicole? Look, I don't think they do have a place in that particular space. I think um, one of the things you touched upon a few moments ago, Rochelle, is the idea um, of um, kind of connection. But also I think the key thing around um, Mary Creek is the fact that people understand that it's a natural environment. So a lot of the research that we did really reflected the idea that it needs to be very carefully considered in terms of intervention. Part of the attraction of the space Mm. is that it's natural and putting in... Masses amounts of lighting will only affect the natural habitats of those spaces and really prevent us from accessing the things that we love about that space. So I don't think, I mean, women have an incredible sense of that natural environment and they're very sensitive to what might be appropriate and certainly lighting and cameras are probably not. How involved are the locals, um, Angelica? I know I spoke off air to a few of the people that attended that roundtable who weren't able to be a part of today's conversation. And they spoke about how emotional it was and that actually Mm. a, a few women spoke about some incidences that had occurred to them that were quite violent and that people, you know, really want something to be to be done in that area. Mm. Now, there is no silver bullet. At the end of the day, it comes down to people treating people nicely, like we are well and truly aware of that. But is there a sense of urgency, I guess, for the area of, of Mary Creek and especially for the locals? Yeah, um, I just want to touch on what you first raised. And, and yes, it was a very... It was a very emotional roundtable and I, I feel quite, yeah, it was a very emotional one and people were quite vulnerable and open and honest um, and trusting of, of the space that we'd created there. So I think that was a real, a real special thing to be able to share that together. Um, there is a sense of urgency, but I think there's always been a sense of urgency. I think the roundtable and getting all of us in that room together, it provided us with an opportunity to express our frustrations at the fact that quite frankly, it's predominantly still men's behaviour that is making women feel unsafe in our public spaces. And so I'm looking at this quite seriously within council. We're reinvigorating our focus towards this and we're building on what's already been done. And I'm hoping that we can bring the community with us on this. Do you feel like you're supported enough? I mean, this is almost a council by council issue, isn't it, in terms of how much energy, how much money the council wants to spend on making areas safer. Do you feel like you need additional support, Angelica? I feel like our council's been been pretty great in this space. We are taking this quite seriously. But as you said, this is a huge issue. It's not just about the Merry Creek or any particular road or creek or bus stop. It's about 
men's behaviour and how they fundamentally view and treat women in our public spaces and in the home. And so we need, you know, whole of country change really on this. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons that we're talking a lot about this particular space is because Mary Beck do want to do something different. Um, mm. They're not the only council. It's happening everywhere. And I think that there's a real opportunity for us to think very carefully about these issues. It's a systemic issue, as Angelica says. And, um, you know, the, there's been a lot of media attention and a lot of vocal community members that have drawn out this issue at the Mary Creek. But... The XYX Lab, we are busy everywhere and, you know, it's important to recognise that. And there's, you know, there's some leadership happening at Marybeck. Angelica, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Angelica Panopoulos is the Mayor of Mary Creek Council. And leading up into today's program, um, I know a group of girlfriends and I were talking about it and public transport came up a lot, especially if there's underpasses that you have to walk under. No way. There is not a chance any of us, especially when it's dark, would walk under them. But also, and Angelica touched on this too, and Nicole, you spoke about how we treat each other and we can actually support each other and we were talking about how when we get onto a train we will eyeball the Mm. carriage and we'll look for groups maybe of older women that we might sit with or I don't know myself if you sense that maybe somebody is being harassed or that somebody might sort of be in a situation that where they feel uncomfortable that you make yourself feel present and maybe change where you sit in order to make that person feel safer as well so there's all of the infrastructure that we're talking about but then there's the emotional Mm. things that we can do and we can read the room yeah and we can make small changes not put ourselves in positions of danger but we can make small changes in order to make others feel safe. Absolutely, but I'm I'm super conscious that those kinds of um, behaviours that you're referring to are women helping other women and it um, it's really important to recognise the amount of safety work. So a really important researcher in this space, Fiona Vera Gray, talks about the safety work that women do to just maintain their access to public space. And I think you're absolutely right. We are eyeballing other women. We are looking out for people that are gender diverse or v- otherwise vulnerable to make sure that we have systems to keep ourselves and others safe. But we must remember that it, it shouldn't be our responsibility to do that. Um, and it's important for us to think about that, I think. And I know that we were talking about councils, but there was, I mean, there is a role here for government to play because there was an incredible advertising campaign at one point and it was on public transport yep. where there, it was a man. So like men do incredible things here to make other men and women feel safe. And you remember the campaign where mm. he sort of, twigged pretty quickly that a man was making a woman feel uncomfortable so he just positioned himself in between both of them and it was just a really clever and subtle campaign so there potentially is more that our governments can be doing. Susan's in Kensington, good morning. Good morning Rochelle and you're so right about CCTV Cameron, useless kind of idea Mm. Um, but I was just going to say lighting on public transport stops is a bit of a double-edged sword because I actually hate being spotlit in a dark area as being alone and if I'm at that kind of shelter I'd actually rather stand into the shadows at the side and move into the light when the tram or bus or whatever it is is coming and I just wanted to follow on from what the mayor was saying about men being the problem um there are two things maybe we could do, which is like work cover could extend its insurance cover to women in the private domestic workplace who are doing housework or childcare work. 
So if they are injured or harassed in their workplace, they could be covered by that. And no one ever considers like, hmm, if men go out after dark, maybe they have to have a woman with them. Everyone thinks it's a problem that women can't go out alone after dark, but we don't look at kind of changing the source of the problem. I know that's incredibly provocative, I love this radical thinking. (laughs) I'm totally with you, Suzanne. I just think that we need to shake this up and think, um, yeah, we need to transform the conversation around these things. And, um, you know, the kind of idea of a chaperone is really interesting. And let's face it, women have been chaperoned in public space for for eons. So there's something kind of restorative around that idea. It's interesting, right? The smallest of chaperone. Look, I mean, it sounds awful that we're even discussing this. But I will remember many, many years ago, I was just walking to a a tram. It was only about six o'clock, but it was pitch black and it was in the middle of winter. And I picked up pretty quickly that I was being followed and I felt really uncomfortable. And years ago, I was taught in a self-defense class of all things that I did through a workplace that find someone, Mm. anyone, and just tell them the truth. Say, I feel unsafe. I feel like I'm being followed. Could you just stand here and talk to me for a moment, please? And the first person I saw was this small, she was about my age, but she was smaller than me. And I said that exact thing to her. She was like, yep, sure, no worries. Mm. And we stood there and we just kind of chatted for a while until he kind of retreated and walked away. And then we both walked each other to the tram stop. But just having that small little bit of knowledge of what to do and just speaking or reaching out to another human being and just saying something as simple as I feel like I'm being followed. Could you stand here and talk to me for a while? It was something I'll never forget. Bruce is in Malvern. Hi, Bruce. How are you going there? Good. What did you want to say? Uh, I wish to talk about uh, reducing dangers, which increases safety for everyone, of course, since this is all about safety and urban design. And what are your ideas? My ideas are to eliminate as much as possible high-speed motorists from all the areas and make it so it's far more people walking. If you increase the number of people walking, cycling, public activities, you get much more people out and you automatically increase safety. We look at it the wrong way around. It's all about danger. Yeah, a few people have said cars. safe. What's that? A few people have said that cars, I mean, even whether it be Maribyrnong, but if you think of big... Uh, areas overseas where there's no cars and there's people walking around late at night, you do feel quite safe. I think Bruce is right. Yeah, I think that there is an issue um, comes up in our research around what women describe as hoons and, yeah, the, the speed of um, cars is an important one. But I do think that it's not just presence of more people. So we live in a very diverse um, community here in Melbourne in Victoria and what... Um, minoritised groups, so women and other forms of minoritised people want to see is people like themselves. So it's not just more people, it's actually more people like us. Um, And so this is a really important thing for us to consider. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt and with you this morning, Associate Professor Nicole Carms, who's the co-director of Monash University's XYX Lab, who are leading the world when it comes to gender and space and safety. And at the moment, they've got an exhibition called Consenting Cities, which has opened both here and the Venice Biennale right at the same time, simultaneously. So when we think about what makes where you live safer, and that can be the physicality of the space, or it can be how we design them so that you feel safe to walk around and to go about your business. Public transport is high at the top of the list when we talk about safety. And Dr Jonathan Spear is the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria. Jonathan, let's 
let's start with some of these outer suburbs that we're building. Our urban sprawl is growing and growing and growing and the public transport to try and keep up with that, well, it just doesn't. And as a result, we use a lot of buses and those bus stops can often be in pretty dark and strange places. Do you have a concern when we're looking at building suburbs from scratch and the safety of public transport that comes into those design principles? Yeah, it's a great question, Rochelle, and, and thanks very much for asking me to discuss this with you. At Infrastructure Victoria, we've identified that uh, delivering better buses, especially for those growth areas of our cities, um, is a really big opportunity to bridge that gap that you've described about growing populations, but then the access to, to public transport. And buses are one of the fastest um, and most cost-effective ways for us to do that. What we did is we talked to around 4,000 Melburnians about their perceptions of travel and, and in particular around their perceptions of buses. And safety definitely did come up in our discussions with those 4,000 Melburnians. And it, it's interesting because during the day, people feel really pretty safe. Both men and women feel generally pretty safe getting public transport. But what our um, findings were that it changes when we get to uh, night time. And around 50% of people don't feel safe walking to or from public transport or, or at public transport stops when it's after dark. And so that's one of the barriers then for us to unlocking greater travel choices for people because they don't feel safe after dark. And it's particularly the case for women. Uh, while men feel safe about, uh, only feel unsafe about 30% of the time after dark, women feel unsafe about 70% yeah. when they're on public transport. So number. that makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking 50%, yeah. so half of the population, 70% of women, 30% uh, of men feel unsafe. Did it unveil at all how that then impacts just their well-being and the choices they can make in life. So if you feel unsafe, does that then mean that you choose not to take a job where you have to walk home in the dark or is it just a matter of having to succumb to feeling unsafe and crossing your fingers when you walk home? I, I don't know if we've got enough evidence to conclusively say it means people aren't getting uh, access to, to jobs or services. But what we do know is that not delivering that public transport connectivity is definitely a barrier to that. And they're not feeling safe uh, is a barrier to people taking the public transport. And so we think it's certainly an important part of uh, unlocking opportunity for people to be able to get around. And it's, it's also um, even more the case when we are looking at the geographical differences. Because in some of those places that you were describing earlier, some of the growth areas mm. of our city, um, people feel less safe catching public transport, whereas in the inner areas of the city, they feel safer catching public transport. So we've got some compounding factors that if you're um, a woman who's travelling after dark in a growth area of our cities, uh, you're, you're far less likely to feel safe yeah. and, and, and catch public transport. Dr Jonathan Spear, the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria, is with you. What I'm interested in, though, Jonathan, is we know in these outer growth areas, uh, trains very rarely are built, even though they may be promised. They very rarely come, and if they do, they can take years. So the reliance on either cars or buses is just the reality of living in some of these growth areas. Who's making the decisions on where these bus stops go 
because this is going to be your major choice of public transport. And they always seem very temporary on the side of the road where there's no infrastructure built around them, even from the elements of the weather, let alone being feeling safe and protected uh, for your own vulnerabilities. So why is not more planning, more thought, more money being spent into these types of bus stops? Well, the Victorian government uh, that determines these things in terms of where bus stops are, and they work in collaboration with local governments when they're planning new communities and, and bus operators. It's not true to say that more thought isn't being given to it. The Victorian government actually has a bus plan and there are... Um, when planners de- developing new communities, they are certainly thinking about where bus stops go. But what our findings show is that it's the frequency of the buses and information about when and where they're going that make the big difference to people. Because many people, most people live um, reasonably close to a bus stop. There's certainly some exceptions in those growth areas. But actually what 4,000 Melburnians told us was it's the frequency of the service. Yes, they know that they're going to have to wait a really long time. Not only are they more likely to take the bus because it's convenient, but they feel safer because they're not waiting around a long time to get it. And if they're getting live travel information Mm -hmm. and they can see where the bus is, then they know that, you know, when to leave home um, and when the bus is going to be there. And that makes a big difference to people's perceptions of safety and therefore uh, whether they're likely to use the bus. Where does safety come into designing suburbs, cities and towns, do you think, Jonathan? I mean, how far down the pecking order is safety when it comes to, or is is it even considered really about, well, how is the public going to use this space and how safe will people feel using this space? I think urban designers and architects and transport planners are increasingly aware of the role that safety plays and that the experience of a um, six foot tall middle-aged white male and their sense of safety is very different to other members of the community and in fact as you were talking about before one of the things about safety is seeing you know other people like us and accepting different people's perceptions of safety so it's definitely factored into part of it is the physical design so the ability to be able to walk in areas where there's light when we talk to community members for our research on buses the, the other two things that they told us in terms of their safety was waiting on the edge of a really busy road is not a very nice or no. particularly safe experience um, having to cross really busy roads especially when there isn't good um, pedestrian crossings diminishes their experience and sense of safety and then bus stop design as well. But I've got to say that was um, down the order of concerns that Mm. community members told us. They were really more concerned about um, buses being more frequent, being faster, having better information about where are they and where are they going uh, and also fair prices. They told us that if, if bus fares were cheaper, they'd be much more likely to catch the bus. I'm sensing a bus show coming up on the conversation now because I could honestly, I've for years I feel like it's Groundhog Day where I've spoken about how we could utilise our bus system better in this state. Jonathan, we really appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. Thanks so much for your insights. 
it's a pleasure and very happy to come and talk with you talk about buses. buses. <laughs> yeah, we have, uh, lots, more, lots more to talk about. <laughs> All right, Absolutely. mate. I'm going to hold you to that. Good on you. Thanks, Jonathan. Dr. Jonathan Spears, the CEO of Infrastructure Victoria. And Nicole, I mean, lots of texts coming in saying this is not just for women. And absolutely not. This is about all people. And we are seeing some awful uh, acts of violence on young men from other young men as well. And that is something that's a growing concern for a lot of communities. So when we're talking about safety, as you just heard from Jonathan, 70% of women that were surveyed said they feel unsafe when they're going to and from on public transport. But we we 100% recognise that this is for all people that live in our communities. Look, I think that's that's true. Um, I do think that, um, you know, my research is concerned with women and girls and other minoritised people and so that's where my efforts go. I think it's important to understand that kind of um, the difference in those stats, so the 30% of men versus the 70% of women feeling unsafe after dark using public transport. We also know that around 30% of women will change their behaviour and not take jobs or not go to school or move house as a result of those unsafe experiences. So it does have a huge life impact on women and girls. But by and large, I mean, everything that Jonathan was saying is what has been surfaced in our research. I think live tracking is really important. The one thing I would say is that I think probably people are privileging the idea of more services because they don't want to be waiting in those stops. So they see that as a way to not be held captive at these kind of dreadful spaces and places. So we have to understand that a lot of those things are interconnected uh, and that... um, I think that there is probably a lack of prioritising the experiences of personal safety in public transport transport across the board uh, and that that probably needs some deeper and more urgent attention. You know, and to go back to buses, hence why I feel like I need to do a bus show, when Jonathan was talking about bus design, I feel like of late... Um, bus stop design that I'm not even seeing bus stops like that they're just a pole and a sign and a small designated area and if there is the bus stop then that design ain't changed since I was getting on the school bus it's the design is 100% the same absolutely and I mean this is about again protecting assets if there's an asset there you have to make sure it's functional and working and it needs to be maintained but also we don't want people hanging out in them Um, and so you know to not have it at all means Mm. that there's not that ability for there to be kind of loitering and things but it's absolutely it i think a bus show would be a great idea <laughs> rebecca's been waiting patiently in south yarra good morning oh hi sorry i was just um had you on hold while i was hanging out the washing yesterday this is really pertinent to me it's not about public transport but yesterday i was walking with my 15 year old daughter um to and from um a local park with our dog and it was just before dark and uh, there, suddenly there were footsteps behind us that sounded quite loud um, and they were obviously going at a pace faster than us and my heart just started moving in a different way. So I moved over to the other side of the footpath to let this person pass and as it turned out, um, he caught up with us and said, no, 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 it's all good, I'm just going in here. So I guess the point that I wanted to make is I think that there's a need for education for men about what the impact of innocent behaviour can have on women Mm. on the streets because I was, you know, not freaking out, but I was 
concerned. You're alarmed, yeah. Yeah, and I've actually, in the years gone past, I've had some amazing calls from men who totally recognise that and have found their own ways, Rebecca, of doing that. So it might be something as simple as picking up a phone and making a, a call so that you can hear that that person's on the phone and they're, they're just chatting to someone in a casual way and not to feel alarmed. Or they say something as simple as, I'm just behind you, I'm just going to pass you now. And so lots of different ways. But again, that comes back to how we as a community help each other through this as well. So safety isn't just the infrastructure, it's how we interact with each other. This text, I'm a 54-year-old woman who occasionally still likes to go out at night. My father is now in his late 80s and he has maintained to this day that no matter where I am or what time it is, all I need to do is call and he will collect me. And I've always felt safe for that reason. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt and today we're looking at how we can design our cities, our suburbs and our towns to make them just feel a little safer and more inclusive. With you in the studio, Associate Professor Nicole Carms from Monash University's XYX Lab. And before we speak to a landscape architect who's been working in this space as well, plenty of texts on this, I'll just try and read a few out. This says, when I was a police officer 10 years ago, Sunshine Police Station had a live feed of the bus stop, which was viewable to the watch house. Melbourne East had the same for Flinders Street Station and the state the Flinders Street Station steps as well. Now I think they're just too busy to be able to monitor it as well. And others say, I agree with your caller earlier about corner shops being open. I always think of those places that are open late at night now. Communities, libraries, centres, cafes, we need to be safer and more lighting, says Peter in Elwood. Claire Martin is a landscape architect. She's the Associate Director of Oculus. And Claire, I know no, this is a space that you've been working in and been working in in other states. What makes us feel safer, do you believe, as a designer? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of things and I think probably what we've heard a lot about in this conversation is what we're designing, but it's also probably how we design and, and how the community can actually be involved in that process. So I think it really starts with having the right design team and then really trying to understand the lived experience of the people and the communities that we're designing for. So I think... That engagement, understanding personal experience, uh, the idea of place audits, surveys. So actually understanding why people don't feel safe is really critical to how they might start to feel safe. And I think also what we've been hearing about is not just is a lot of negative experiences, whereas we really need to focus on the positive experiences that we're designing. So what are some of the positive experiences? What's working well? Well, I think, um, as Nicole said, it is about connection. So everything that everyone has been talking about is about, yes, urban design, so big-scale projects that can influence the way we design our streets. But then you've got to start to drill down to components and elements and maybe even program and operations. So I think when we're talking about the buses, they're operated services, so they're maintained. And I think you really need to look anything from, yes, lighting, whether it's too bright, whether there's no lighting, paths, which is really about everything everyone's spoken about in terms of connectivity and access and equity. Um, anything also from public toilets, greenery is definitely really, really important. We've certainly been involved in projects that have surveyed people and we understand that having a green environment can definitely make people feel more positive and more safe. And then I think, as Nicole was saying, activity and uses and the sociability of spaces. So really the type of furniture, the arrangement of the furniture, the way that we're supporting people being on the street is really, really critical. 
type of furniture. It's interesting. I wrote down public toilets, and strangely, I actually want to. I want to do another that's show. Another show. I'm uh, so sorry. Hundred percent. It is because that's something we talk about bus stops and never seeing the design of those change. We have seen the design of public toilets change, haven't we? And. I feel safer in some of the new designs of public toilets. So there's an area of design that's changed that makes in something that we probably thought could never change, Claire, that make would make people feel safer. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, again, who are you involving in the teams that are designing these things? So if you have, you know, if you have a representative design team, whether it's engineers, architects, landscape architects, who understand the experience of all the callers that have been talking today, then they're going to bring a more empathetic approach to design. So that allows you to think about what a toilet needs to be or do or where it needs to be located. The same for bus stops. They need to be thought of holistically. So I think that means about where we're locating them, again, the orientation, the relationship to buildings. Um, So these things, yeah, they can't be seen in isolation. And I think we also really need to look at more of an evaluation approach. So understanding if the designs of our streets are actually doing what they thought we thought they'd Mm. do in a good way. What about regional Victoria? We've spoken a lot about sort of the outer new growth areas, but I guess to you, Nicole, where does regional Victoria and smaller towns come into this? Is it easier to retrofit if you've got a smaller community group that can come together and make decisions? Look, I think the research, recent research that we've done, which was the Your Ground Project, we looked at regional suburb, regional areas, um, outer suburbs and inner city suburbs, and there are different needs for those communities, and that was kind of highlighted in some of that research. Um, I don't think it's necessarily easier, but I do think what Claire's saying about the kind of processes of um, communities participating in design um, projects with architectural teams and urban design teams is incredibly important. That way we're gathering kind of information about how and what communities want to see uh, and we're really kind of um, delivering projects that are going to benefit the people that are going to use them, which is a really big shift in architectural thinking, I think. Claire Martin is with you, Landscape Architect and Associate Director of Oculus. And you mentioned the type of furniture and street furniture that we design or use. And that's been somewhat of a revolution over the last couple of years as well because previously often street furniture was kind of put in spots where you wouldn't necessarily sit it was there it was ticking a box but it was covered in bird poo and it was probably more about the plaque that was on it than anything else but being able to see street furniture as something that can enhance and help and be a a proactive part of society is there still a long way to go in that space do you think claire Uh, Yeah, I think it's definitely being considered more. And I think there is this sort of tension sometimes even between needing to use robust materials that can last forever um, with the need to create warmth and the opportunity for people to dwell longer. Uh, I think also that there are often a range of um, furniture that can be quite limited. So you might have a family with a large and diverse group of um, adults, multi-generational families, and they may need, need to gather in larger groups. And so a lot of the time we're not accommodating that. We're accommodating um, sort of parallel seating, seating that doesn't relate people to each other, which again goes back to what Nicole was saying about connection. It really is about connection. Claire, thanks so much for your time. 
Pleasure. Claire Martin, Landscape Architect and Associate Director at Oculus. Plenty of texts. I'll try and get through a few of them. If I was a 16-year-old young man, I wouldn't go near a station on my own at night. And another from Di that says, if I hear footsteps behind me and feel uncomfortable, I'll take out my phone and I do a selfie. Make sure you get the person behind you in that photo and send it to a friend. And another that says, as a man, when I'm walking, I now walk off the footpath and well ahead of approaching women, either on the road or the nature strip. And when approaching face-on, I indicate with a little hand signal that they can stay on the path. And that's from Mick in Mulgrave. These are the things that make a difference, don't they? Just And then you feel even safer and you feel like, oh, I'm a part of a community. And then you might go for that walk again the following night. And hence we get happier and healthier lives. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Plan International put out a great kind of toolkit of things that men can do in public spaces to kind of indicate safety to women. And I think that men are increasingly aware of um, how women feel in public space. And they're just great examples examples, Rochelle, about what, what men are doing. I had that moment the other morning and it was early and it was like 6.30 and I saw a woman running and had headphones in. My first instinct was, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And then I hated myself for thinking mm. like that. And so you have these, you go around and around in your own head that I wish I didn't think like that. I have to think like that and looking out for each other. The exhibition, as we mentioned, it's called Consenting Cities and it's opened up both here in Melbourne and as a part of the Venice Biennale. It's at QV at the No Vacancy Gallery. What can people see there? What's on exhibition at the moment? Look, it's a, a new work that's really exploring and visualising international research into safety in our cities. It's absolutely stunning. It's a, a gorgeous graphic artwork and it uses augmented reality to then disguise quite confronting, unfortunately, statistics about inequality in our cities and particularly about women and gender diverse people's experiences. But it's absolutely gorgeous. You can use your phone and get involved with the app and look at the website. Um, so if you're in Melbourne, it's open until June 3rd. And if you're in Venice, where I've just come back from, <laughs> it's open until November 26th. If you're in Venice, a sentence where I never will say, yes, as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to be. Associate Professor Nicole Carbs, as we said, co-director of Monash University's XYX Lab. You've been working in this space for such a long time and we really appreciate the constant work and effort that you put into it. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. 